Welcome to episode 85. Today, I will walk you through my favorite time-saving coal planning strategies. Welcome to the Teaching Multilingual Learners podcast. This podcast celebrates teachers who answer the calling to serve multilingual students and their families. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. Your beautiful smile, your beautiful life are waiting for you to shine bright. It's never too early or late to start to rise up and shine. Every cloud has. I spent eight years as a language specialist. My first year of co-teaching looks so different than my eighth year. As I continue to collaborate with teachers, I know it will evolve further. As I worked with teachers year after year, I learned what things to do and what not to do. Over these years, I noticed that there are several strategies that I use the most when I plan with my colleagues. And these strategies have been highly effective at shaping instruction for language learners. I group the strategies into two categories, before the unit planning and during the unit planning. I would describe each of the strategies in these categories and provide specific examples. I wished I had learned these strategies when I first started co-teaching. They would have saved me so much time and made my co-planning so much more effective. There's a blog post that accompanies this podcast. If you'd like to read the blog post, please go to my website. The link to the blog post will also be in the show notes. Now, on to today's podcast. I have co-taught as a language specialist now for about eight years. And my first year of collaborating with teachers look a lot and feel so different than they do now on my eighth year of co-teaching. As I continue to collaborate with teachers, I know it will evolve further. I notice that there are several strategies that I use most often when I plan with colleagues. And these strategies have been highly effective at shaping instruction for language learners. I group the strategies into two categories, before the unit planning, and during the unit planning. I would describe each of the strategies in these categories and provide examples. We cannot co-teach without co-planning for the fruits of effective co-teaching are rooted in the seeds of intentional co-planning. I'd like to share with you my five most used strategies when co-planning. If you're new to co-planning or have a limited amount of co-planning time, if you're new to co-planning, or have limited amount of time to co-plan, try to use these five strategies. In the before the unit co-planning category is the high impact planning strategy. Let's pretend I'm gonna give you a task. You have a really large mason jar. Now outside the mason jar is a, a pile of stones. There are four large stones. And then there's another pile of pebbles. And then the last pile is a pile of sand. 
your job is to put all of these items inside the mason jar so that all of them fit inside. What is the order in which you would place these items in the jar? Most people see that they need space for the four large stones. So they put them first. Then they put the pebbles and finally put the sand in. Then they shake the mason jar so that the sand goes between the gaps between the pebbles and the large stones. This little task is a metaphor for high impact co-planning. Co-planning a bulletin board like a, is like a pile of sand. It takes up less space and produces significantly fewer results than planning an end of unit assessment, which are like the big stones. Not everything is worth co-planning. The quote that embodies high impact co-planning the most is this quote by Brian Tracy. He said, there is never enough time to do everything, but there is always enough time to do the most important thing. The topics that support multiple days of learning need to anchor out co-planning. These include unit planning, whole class novels, end of unit projects, standards mapping, sensitive assessments, essential question sequencing, rubrics and success criteria. And finally, extended writing tasks such as lab reports and essays. A single session of co-planning on any of these topics will carry you and your colleagues through the full span of the unit. Though you'll have to meet briefly to readjust on a daily and weekly basis, high and co-pack planning will prevent you from starting from scratch each time you co-plan. These are the anchoring items of your co-planning time, and they are less stress-inducing than planning the day-to-day -day details. What I like to do is that, let's say, for example, that we are planning a unit and we look at all the standards together. So what do we do about the logistical planning, I hear you say? I personally use time to create the slides, to create the document, on my own personal time. The time that I spend co-planning has to be with my colleagues agreeing on these big items, these stones items, these big things that anchor our lesson. The smaller little things, I'll plan on my own time and then give to them when it's time to co-teach or to meet again next week. What this means is if I'm actually co-teaching with the teacher, we spend that time identifying what kids have to know by Friday. And then we determine what they have to learn on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. That's basically the entire planning session. What I do then is I go back to my own classroom during my own time and I create the lessons on a slide document or Google Doc or Google Slides so that we don't have to spend time formatting the Google Slide or the Google document. We spent most of our time, all the time, the most important part of our time, identifying the big ideas that students have to achieve and to understand. This really has made all the difference. At the beginning of the unit, I always engage with high impact co-planning to figure out what are the big things of the unit. The following four strategies are the strategies I use during the unit. One of the four strategies is called content product process. Content product process is my go-to strategy when working with colleagues. This framework comes from Carol Ann Thomason, the amazing Carol Ann Thomason. 
and it's used to differentiate work. But I use it to structure my co-planning. With it, I determine the content, what topics and content standards do students have to learn, the product, what students have to produce to demonstrate mastery. For example, a report, a poster, an animated video, an essay, an infographic. The process. How will students learn the content? For example, through lectures, videos, readings, simulations, group work, or an individual study. Once we've identified these items, we can plan who will teach what, who will work with whom, and what resources we need to provide, and what scaffolds we can build in. This process saves a significant amount of time because they are highly targeted questions. I can simply walk in and say, okay, hey, what are you learning for today? Oh, okay, so how do you want them to learn that? Okay, so by the end of the period, what will students do to demonstrate they get it? I got it, okay, now I'm gonna go work with students. See how fast that was? This is why, though it's a process for differentiation, it's a way for me to structure my interview with my co-teacher. It also helps them be clearer, and it helps, it helps me understand what I can do there. I can help with the content. I can help with the process. I can help with the product. I use content, process, product most often when I don't have time to co-plan. When it's me walking into the room, maybe two minutes before, three minutes before, and saying, hey, da 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 da. And my co teachers really, I don't think they really realize what I'm doing, but I'm just getting quickly a lay of the land for today's lesson, which is understandable because sometimes people don't have enough time to co plan. Yet you can use this framework to quickly ascertain what students are doing for that day. When I know the content, this is what I ask. What can I do to help students learn content-specific vocabulary and key understandings of the content? For the product, I ask, how can I guide students through the steps to address each part of the success criterion? And for the process, I ask, how can I help language learners follow the instructions and interact with others? I think once you internalize this process, it'll change your co-planning experience. It'll change the way you co-teach or provide in-class support because you're no longer sitting in the back of the room trying to figure out what are they doing for today. Another strategy that I use while the unit is going on is called features of academic language. Teachers often ask, how can they be teachers of language when they are science, PE, design, math, art, music, or drama teachers? My answer is always, they need to be teachers of the language used in their content area. To be a teacher of language is to focus on three different features of academic language. The first is the word or phrase level. I ask teachers to think about the content specific words or the tier three words needed to understand the content. For example, it might be supply demand, photosynthesis, or D minor. These are the things you would teach in your content area that other disciplines would not teach. Another feature of academic language is the sentence level. This means determining the sentence structures used to communicate content-related topics. What I like to do is, for example, let's say that there's a science lab report and they have to think about the hypothesis or kids have to produce 
a hypothesis. I would sit down with my science teacher and say, can you write out the hypothesis for me? Just a, an example of a hypothesis. And they would write it out in full. So then I would look at that hypothesis and take out the content specific things and leave just the frames there. So for example, it might be, if blank increases, then something else will decrease. Or when this happens, comma, this produces, full stop. This is what it means to be a teacher of language. We look at the way sentences are structured and how they organize ideas within a sentence to communicate content-specific ideas. I take the sentence that the teacher just gave me and I turn it into a sentence stem. The last level is the discourse level. This is the order of ideas from sentence to sentence or paragraph to paragraph. For example, a design brief might be organized by the problem, the research, the plan, the specifications, the prototype, the final product, and the evaluation. Students don't know this order. So we have to help provide the order for them, model it, or make it really clear for them because they can't put the evaluation for design brief at the beginning because the designer wants to communicate the problem first, something that students would know. That's something that we would have to teach them. So what I would do is I would say, I would sit with the design teacher and say, let's open up a Google slide document. Let's break down all the parts of this design portfolio. What do students have to do first? Then second, then third, and finally all the way into the end. So in this way, we're really making all the parts of the assessment explicit and clear so students can be more successful. This framework of language comes from WIDA and teachers can use it when they're confused about how to support language learners. By using this method, even a drama teacher can be a teacher of language, the language of drama. But for beginners, we have to teach them the vocabulary words. Then we have to show them how the vocabulary words are used in a sentence. Then we have to show them how the sentences were organized. In this way, we ensure that students are thinking critically and accessing rigorous academic content, not just here, learn the vocabulary words. That's the only thing I can expect of you because you're a beginner. When we co-plan with a focus on the features of academic language, beginning language learners are very successful. This is because we're very explicit with the vocabulary they have to use, the sentence structure they have to use, and the organization of the sentences or the ideas. So let's review quickly. We had the first strategy, which was high impact planning. The next one is content product process. The one we just covered was features of academic language focusing on the word, sentence, and discourse level. And the next one is another strategy I use during unit co-planning or as the unit is still going on. It's called WIDA key uses. In the IB world, we call it command terms. In WIDA land, we call that language functions. So years ago, WIDA conducted research on a study of the most commonly used command terms from kindergarten through college. They organize these command terms into four categories, which they call key uses. I'll give you a little acronym to help you remember. It's READ, R-E-A-D, like reading a book. So the first, the first part of the READ acronym is R, which is recall. So in recall, students are either describing a feature of something, retelling events, 
or comparing contrasting features. The E part is explain. Kids will describe the relationship between things, the cause and effect, and the problem and solution. The A part is argue. Students will produce a claim and provide evidence taken from text to support their claim. And the last one is D, which basically encompasses all the other three. It's students interacting with others to recall, explain, to argue, but they're doing this orally. So read, explain, and argue can be done orally, but they can also be done in writing. When co-planning, I identify the command terms that students are responsible for demonstrating as they learn the content and engage with assignments. Once we identify the command terms, we are better prepared to co-plan since each command term comes with a set of vocabulary. For example, we call, we might say, in the beginning, then, after that, secondly, finally. Explain might be, as a result, therefore, due to a consequence, this occurred because. Argue, the most important, the least effective, the most significant factor. And for discuss, it might be, as Abdul said, according to Ichigo, for discuss, I think of Jeff's viewers, three types of language. Of course, there's more, but he identified three specifically. He said students are clarifying, students are building on, and students are connecting. The one I think about students working together, are they clarifying ideas? Are they building on each other's ideas? Are they forming connections? So co-planning with WIDA's key uses is another way content teachers can become teachers of language, specifically the terminology and the prose of a content area. Being a teacher of language means making visible the language used by experts. So when I think of WIDA key uses, I don't actually tell my teachers that. I don't say, hey, tell me what's the key that we use you're gonna use today. I might say, so what is the content you're doing today? And then what do you want kids to do? Oh, you want them to compare uh, the causes of World War I to the causes of World War II? Okay, so compare falls under recall. So I know that I'm gonna be able to do that. So I know that when I work with language learners, I'm sitting next to them or any student actually, I'm sitting and having them compare the causes of these two different words. When we identified WIDA key uses, we improved teacher clarity. Are you seeing a theme between all these strategies? Everything we're doing in co-planning is trying to increase teacher clarity. And it also makes learning more academically rigorous. They're not using language just to use language. They're using language specifically for specific purposes. So it's not just create a poster. It's create a poster that argues your point. So the last strategy for co-planning is deconstruct and sequence. Before I explain it, let's look at a burrito. The first thing I do when I go back to the US in the summers or my breaks is to get a burrito. Now imagine a burrito. What are all the parts of a burrito? There's the beans, there are cheese, there's the guacamole, there's the lettuce, there's the tortilla. So those are, that's what we call deconstructing. We're taking apart what are all the things in a burrito. Now, if we were to create the burrito, so the sequence part means what are the steps that we have to use to create the burrito? Do we first plop on the beans? 
No. We first take the tortilla out. We spread it out. Actually, before then, we, we toast it up. Then we, when it's finished toasting, we put it out. And then we spread the guacamole, the sauce, evenly so it's not all over the place. Then you would spread the lettuce and the beans and the meat. And you spread them all out evenly in nine clumps. Then you would roll from the bottom of the tortilla up. As it comes halfway up, you fold the two sides in and you continue folding to the top. And then you wrap it around with tin foil. In a similar way, when we work with colleagues, we ask them, hey, let's deconstruct this assignment. What are the different parts that students have to complete? Now, with all these different parts, what's the sequence of these parts? What's first? What's the middle? What's the end? As you plan with your colleagues, work to deconstruct the task into its essential elements. For example, the parts of a research paper can consist of the problem, the cause, the effects, and the possible solutions in that order. Once you've deconstructed these parts, then sequence the order in which the students must present the information or engage with the information. Each part then becomes a mini task the students have to engage with. The assignment becomes more manageable in this way. When you co-plan this way, students are less likely to say, I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. This strategy can also support backwards design. Once we can identify all the different parts of the assignment, we can more easily sequence them to move students cognitively towards a specific goal in mind. The order of the task is just as important as the content of the assessment. Co-planning must be done in the service of our colleagues, not just our students. We joke in our field that sometimes our colleagues run away when they see us walking towards them to co-plan. That has happened to me several times. When co-planning is an effective use of time and is in the service of our colleagues' responsibilities, they will see co-planning with us less like a job that they have to do and more of like a step that they want to do to support their students. I hope these strategies give you a structure to your co-planning time. They've certainly helped me structure and maximize my limited co-planning time. In the next episode, I want to share with you something that I call BATS, which is an acronym for the four deliverables I want to help teachers find and identify and co-construct during each co-planning session. Before we recap this episode, I have a favor and an invitation. My favor is to ask you to please review this podcast if you found it valuable so that teachers like you become inspired and informed in their advocacy work. My invitation is for you to enroll in my scaffolding learning or teacher collaboration courses. I've taken the principles that I've learned from experts in the field. I've applied them to my classes. I kept the things that worked and I'm sharing all of them in these courses. I hope you consider enrolling. Now onto our recap. I know that in our field, co-planning is a luxury that many do not have or have at a limited capacity. However, if we don't co-plan, we lose out on the most effective tool to shift instruction for students. If we just show up to class and try to co-teach, it lacks the intentionality that comes with co-planning.
We cannot teach on a whim. The same goes for co-teaching on a whim. It just doesn't work as effectively as if we co-plan together. Therefore, we have to maximize our co-planning time by using specific structures that produce the greatest return on the time spent. These are not the only structures, of course, so feel free to create your own structures. What's most important as you create your structures is that they have to be simple, they have to be sequential as well. Sequential meaning talking about the big things and going to the next, then going to the smaller details. Sequential can also mean what are students learning first, in the beginning, and then in the middle, then at the end. Please share your structures with us on Twitter so that we can learn alongside you. Thank you for listening. I'll see you soon. Be safe and be rooted in peace. It's your turn to play Traffic Light Teaching. Tweet at me either your red, yellow, or green light from this particular episode.